Hey, this is Alex Kohler and you are listening to another episode of the Go-To-Market Mastery Podcast. In today's episode, we are having top of funnel talk from identifying leads to booking meetings with our special guest, Michael Lache. Enjoy. If you can't learn how to close, you better start thinking about another career. And I am deadly serious about that. The reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Hello, Michael. Hi, Alex. Hey. So, um, we are here for a new episode of the Go-To-Market Mastery Podcast. Um, and today I have a very, very special guest. Yeah, um, We had an actually a really interesting pre-podcast chat, Michael, where you asked a lot of questions about me. Um, but about you, um, you have a very, very impressive journey behind you. Um, in the last 11 years in Dealfront, you um, went from a startup with seven to a scale-up with over 350 employees. You grew your team from two to over 30 international AEs and you grew a customer base from 200 to currently over 10,000 active B2B customers. So I'm very, very grateful that you're here at my podcast. Um, but yeah, I told a few things about you. Would you start um, <laughs> by still introduce yourself again? Yeah. So my LinkedIn profile is already quite quite equipped, as I can see, <laughs> talking about <laughs> myself. But, It is. But, but yeah, just, just in short, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things about my, my uh, career path. So uh, as mentioned before, I started at Echobot back then as an SDR, as a working student around 11, 11 years ago, um, was there in this company and uh, had the chance to just walk through different episodes of uh, a startup pretty much as a scale up. I'm doing this now for 11 years. Uh, I'm 34 years old, uh, I'm located in Karlsruhe, having a little boy uh, who's going to become uh, two years old, which was also a challenge um, <laughs> from, from the time management perspective. Um, but yeah, here at Dealfront, um, currently supporting a team of around those uh, 30, 35 people all around Europe, something that uh, developed over the last year. So Before, it was heavily focused on DACH territory, but like since one year, we're heavily also focusing on the internationalization inside of the whole European area. Amazing. Yeah, um, a lot of barriers to, to go over, but now mm -hmm. you made it as a VP sales, but um, maybe to introduce your company. So mm -hmm. at which company did you do that? What, what are yeah. you doing at Dealfront? Yeah. Uh, Dealfront is a go-to-market platform for Europe. Um, I know that you have like an international audience also for this podcast. A lot of people also call, uh, know one big, really big company from the US. Uh, some of you have maybe have heard of ZoomInfo. Um, and we're pretty much like having a company that is uh, heavily focusing on helping customers doing business in Europe. So imagine you want to um, find your ideal customer inside of the internet and you just usually have the problem with the tools to really like pick the golden nuggets inside of that market of course you're using linkedin you have your own crm system but we developed a database a platform where you can actually have tools to filter down 
really exact which customers, which companies are like of a high quality for you, which people inside of those customers uh, you actually want to talk to, and what is the right timing for that. So we identify triggers uh, with the help of AI to help you really build the messaging around that and be informed and close deals faster. So this is pretty much the idea behind that to help companies in Europe excel in the B2B sales space. Yeah, and I already went through a demo. I uh, never told you at, at Dealfront, and some people showed me showed me stuff, um, and I was pretty <laughs> pretty impressed um, what what your filtering um, filtering offers because uh, I, I wished like LinkedIn was able to do it, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, that's I think your edge case. But um, of course, you offer a great service, but somebody needs to sell this service as well. So, mm -hmm. how do you approach sales at Dealfront? Yeah. In general, of course, we're uh, approaching uh, sales through two different channels. On the one hand side, we have the inbound lead flow, um, which currently with the help of marketing is growing month by month. Um, we have, of course, have a challenge with a new rebranding that we did in April this year, coming from Lead Feeder and Echobot. Um, going into this new name of Dealfront. So we now have the challenge of building up the name as well in the European market, but but still like the lead volume is growing. And on the other side, of course, we also have an outbound sales motion where we have um, SDRs, uh, but also AEs for certain markets to do the outbound selling motion themselves. Um, figure out which company are actually matching our ideal customer profile, figuring out which is the right persona to talk to. Uh, we always multi-thread, so ask and, and have a conversation with multiple people inside of those companies to just figure out one use case that we can leverage for us and then have a conversation to see if we can um, support them with those, with those challenges. Yeah, that, that is very, very, very interesting. Um, and you also named it before, or we talked it, we talked about it in our pre-podcast chat. Early stage sales hires are one of the most difficult things ever, I think, um, out there, or one of the most difficult sales hires. Mm. Um, and you joined as a working student. And now you're a VP sales at the same company 11 years later, going through all those barriers. Could you lead us through the journey and um, how this happened? Yeah. I mean, in general, like, um, I get this question asked a lot, like, why am I actually still after 11 years in the same company? Does it actually make sense? Because usually if you're taking a look at a CV of a, of a person, it's actually after like two to three years, they're making the next step to go into another company. Um, and I always need to explain like this, uh, I'm not moving because my, my job, my role, my, my responsibilities are growing each year or every two to three years. I have a totally different scope of, of, of working. So when I started in this uh, seven um, people company back then, we were focusing primarily not on sales intelligence solution that we're doing right now, but back then it was a company focusing on social media and online monitoring solutions. So we were pretty much collecting the buzz that is happening in the internet um, and we're selling this software, this, this platform back then to marketing and sales agencies, for example, that want to understand what is written about their company, their products, uh, their solutions. Um, coming from there, the, the evolution pretty much going into a company which is like a big bigger size and where we understood, okay, monitoring is one thing, but actually the people are asking for a different other solution, which is more sales oriented. They're also willing to pay more money for it. It's not something that is nice to have, but like having leads, having uh, and providing like a pipeline for the, for, the, for the sales team is something that must be done. Also like in a recession, for example, in COVID, before COVID, um, 
you always receive like quite a good feedback on things that help you to gain new business instead of just listening to what's out there on the market about your brand. So this was pretty much like going from small to a different product then, growing in that in that, uh, in that area. Then pretty much like we did some things with um, professional services at some point, <laughs> tried it out, but realized that we're focusing heavily on the IT side of things actually to not do the professional service. We started to do a research and development department, building out a team. Currently, I think we're around like 10 to 12 people in the research and development department, only like uh, making research um, on, on um, um, natural language processing, NLP, and help pretty much like understand the machine, what is written inside of texts and implement those uh, solutions inside of our products. So it's something that we did back then as a professional service we're doing now inside of a tool, which like splits uh, of a second and like with millions and millions of, of pages. And then like after the merger as well, having a totally new responsibility, a, a bigger and a team that is responsible not only for Dach territory, but like with um, uh, the European focus and also not only the sales intelligence solution that we sold in Ecobot, but also the website visitor identification solution, which came in from lead feeder and like having that on the one roof is also quite a new challenge uh which i'm facing right now but it's also like a, a huge development um possibility for me my team and the whole company yeah yeah absolutely i can imagine that very interesting interesting times for you after the merger um so today um things introduction aside i would say we have a little top of funnel talk so really from identifying leads to book meetings because i think that's actually um, a case where you and also your tool um, can support a lot so maybe since you're talking a lot with customers and having a lot of customer insights what are mistakes do, do you still see at companies who are selecting their targeted industries I think what they do is usually they don't really have like a concrete ICP. I just give you an example. If they're focusing on the machinery industry, they're focusing on the machinery industry by list somewhere usually, or they have a CRM system where they have like pre-selected and outdated data inside of their CRM systems. And they give that data to the sales team and just say, okay, good. You go for it, use that data and, and like start the outbound approach. And this happens like a lot of times. And of course, like software companies are a bit more advanced in it because they have like other, other mindsets as well. But there's also a lot of traditional industries in, in particular, like in the German speaking area, we're still like working in Excel files. And you cannot imagine with how many people we're talking to, also not only the small sized companies, but also like mid-sized companies, we're still like having Excel files as a CRM system. It's Crazy. still the case. It's like, it's it's no, no joke. <laughs> it's still the case. So. The idea behind that is like out of, let's say, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 companies to really detect not only by the industry, but actually looking further down in that, in that list, which companies are making even more sense. I give you one example that actually took really place a few years ago when I was, when I was selling myself. Um, and it was actually a machinery industry company who actually said before, well, we bought lists from um, a data vendor, machinery, that's it. And then when we actually had a conversation with them, we actually figured out like machinery is nice, but what's important to them is actually companies that have like 3D printing in place. 
But this is something that a sales rep actually, when he has a list, he clicks on the uh, website link or researches on Google the company, because you also a lot of times are missing the website link in, the, in those files. Checking out the website and seeing like what is the portfolio of the company? Are they actually offering um, 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 laser, laser, laser printing or 3D printing, like those kind of things? And just by leveraging website crawlers on top of industries, you can really like out of 10,000 companies get to the 500 that are really interesting for you. And then help the sales team really prepare and optimize their pitch because every of one of those companies is actually having the same issue or having the same criteria. So like thinking about ways how to narrow down the market to one niche, prepare the sales team as good as possible because like unpersonalized uh, messages. And I think every leader out there will understand that you receive like dozens of LinkedIn messages, cold calls or emails each week. And you really like detect quite fast if it's a, like if the sales rep didn't do his homework and you want to be the one which is like sticking out of that crowd, making the customer understand and really personalize that message. And you like, and there are technologies out there. It's not even deal front. There are also other providers, like for example, you can go just on LinkedIn and check it out. There are also some really good filters to, to nail it down, but you need to use it, leverage it to be able to really stick out of the crowd because the buzz is huge at the moment in the sales space. Yeah, and it will get even even bigger with AI yeah. marching and yeah. those fluff personalizations. Hey, you're eight years in sales. I'm eight years in sales as well. Um, Alex, you're breathing. Me too. How nice is that? <laughs> like those exactly. kind of things. Like exactly. This is not personalization. <laughs> this is yeah. this is because you know when when you're a leader and you want somebody or when you're a rep and you want a leader to go into a meeting with you, how does this align with their problems? This is basically just. Um, a fake fluff personalization. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you see a funding and for example, yeah, you raised Series A or you got merged or whatever, please read the funding news. Implicate, be a business consultant. Implicate, what does that mean? How is my service or how, how can my service really support your roadmap and your problems that you have? Read the funding news. It's it's just so so simple and then you you have a whole different way of personal personalization. Um, yeah. I can just just one 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 or two things to that. We actually exactly had this issue or this situation at the like uh, on on April like when we communicated the merger. Actually, it was before it was I think at end end of last year. We communicated the merger. We communicated we got a funding of 180 million as a company. You cannot imagine how many messages I got. On the one hand side, of course, like congratulating, which is great. But on the other side, are the people that want to sell to me something. And then you have like 80% that are usually just, just high level. We help customers to do this and that. And there are 20% of those messages that actually, as you just said, like read the paper, <laughs> read what we, what we want to do with it. That is, for example, internationalization. And thought of how can their service be attached to our strategy? And that really stood out. And the thing is, the question is like, of course you will not, like there is no guarantee, but you as a sales rep just want to raise your chances to win the deal or actually just have a conversation. Actually, it's not even winning the deal. It's just having a conversation, a decent one that you get a chance to communicate about a specific topic and you can just like boost your success rate with just personalizing, taking a little bit more time for it. Absolutely. Absolutely agree on that. And I think a big topic there, which I would like to address um, is how do you really find 
the companies where you should invest the time. And I think we're back at the ICP there. And how do I settle my focus? Because I could like write the perfect personalized message if if my service doesn't help you and you're not within my ICP, I don't have a lot of chances and I'm basically wasting my time with doing my research. So 100%. how do you maybe um, help your reps with keeping the focus right, really creating the barriers of mm -hmm. the ICP mm -hmm. and also making them stay effective and spending their time with the right accounts. Uh, fun fact: I was like last week. I was in Berlin. was was part of a um, really cool event. This was um, um, supported or actually like uh, took place uh, from the company called Highrise, and they were talking about sales performance. And they had three different pillars that they are uh, focusing on. And this is on the one hand side the setup. So what needs to be as a setup? And there it comes like to the ICP. It comes down to the persona. It comes down to the USP of US US a company. So what is your unique value proposition for this specific target group? So understanding that and like having a checklist, having a training on it, like really helping the sales rep to perform. If you don't have this setup, it's going to be really, really hard to make a salesperson um, successful because you cannot coach everything, like focus on motivation and focus on sales skills if they just don't get what the product, the solution is and what actually where the product market fit is. And also you need to train the message market fit, right? That's your messaging work. And so setup is one thing. Then it's like the skill set that you need to train on. This is like where it comes to sales. And this is where it goes. It comes also to the outbound motion, which channels to use, how to message, how to optimize on email, how to optimize on social selling skills. And then the motivation as a third part. So setup, skill set, and motivation. And how do I understand pretty much if a company makes the most sense is you just try to see how many overlaps does this company have with your ideal customer profile this is actually it and what i would always do like it's 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 hard of course at the beginning but usually if you have like a really small sales team or it's like founder-led sales you can actually take a look at the existing customers that you already won or the founder won already to just check pretty much which similarities do they have what was the pain point of them and see if specific criteria can actually match as well to the target group that you just select pre-selected or which you can maybe assume um it's hard to say it like right away like in general i would this is why i would just say um try to to keep it as as, as uh, give a high level overview of it because it's always per, like individual for each company but in general like you need to map it to your ideal customer profile and see um if the use case that you're supporting is actually paying off for the customer. Try it out with five, 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 five of those prospects or companies, see what the feedback is. Try it with 10, 15, 20, and then you pretty much like get a really good understanding like if your USP or your product, your solution, your service is actually um, ringing the bell for the customer, is actually of value, and then you can scale on it. So the, the idea or the goal behind that is making like those micro tests, so A-B tests for different um, target groups, if you're thinking of the beginning, right? If you're trying to figure something out, I would always recommend to do that, to just get a feedback from the market and then scale on what works. If you already have a fully fledged sales motion, like for example, for us, we have like over 30 people inside of our sales motion only on the 
SLG part, which I'm, which I'm, which I'm responsible for. We already know the USPs, we already know the ICP, so it's quite easy to map those companies and check which companies actually are making more sense now. Or when we develop a new use case or a new feature inside of our tool, we just check in the CRM which other companies can be actually mapped now, which can, companies can we serve now, and then we optimize the pitch and train the people on it to start with the outbound approach on those companies again with a totally different messaging maybe. So this is like, maybe it, it goes in the direction that you asked and I yeah. hope that this became more clear. Uh, but yeah, that's how I would do it. Yeah, Michael, it's, it's a great answer. Um, and what I w was wondering is currently in, 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 in the actual market, I think you need to, you, we agree that you need to do way, way more to, for example, get just a mid-market deal. Yeah. Um, are you, or do you think even in mid-market or in not like high enterprise sales, that, for example, if you have an account list, that you just approach it like, okay, these are my accounts and I give it to, or I give 30 of them to my rep. And no matter what, we want to get in those accounts, even in market, or do you still say you give them a bigger list, yeah, with maybe similar, uh, that are, of course, within your ICP, and you just say, you go through all them, you ask the decision makers, and you ask if this could be relevant for them. And if they have the interest, or if you have some touch point of interest, then you go in that. You, know, you understand the question, or you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I, I think yes, and I'll try to answer it. So I don't think you can force the need to your customers. If I would just say, okay, those 30 opportunities or those 30 customers is uh, you want to approach and we want to win business with them. If I want that, it's good for me, but it doesn't mean that the customer wants it as well. Yeah. Maybe they're in a contract with a different other provider. Maybe they have internal processes that are just um, showing us a different um, different management style that you can actually not approach. So you need to have a conversation with them. So what you can expect at least is to have a conversation. It doesn't mean that you want to re like that you can win business and this is the right timing for for that. But you want to have like the first conversation. This is something that you can expect from a salesperson to use all tactics, all ways pretty much to get in touch with the right decision maker or stakeholder to just have a brief conversation if it makes sense to continue having them. Um, I personally, um, I'm not a big fan of 30 accounts because just it's, it's the number is just too, too, too small. Yeah. For us, um, we have around like, it, actually it doesn't really matter like if it's a small, medium business or enterprise. Um, we have around like 250 accounts that are assigned to your name at the same time. Some people might say it's way too much. You need to have less. Yeah. But having 250 accounts doesn't mean that you're working on all of the opportunities. It doesn't in, mean in that. You're just in, assigned in to your name. Frame? Yeah. In which time frame do you have this? 20, At the 20? same time. So, in, in, Meaning, like in a, so you always have 250 accounts. And if some, some account is a no, for example, um, you get a new one. Exactly. Then you reassign okay. that account to, for example, for us in the CRM system, it's an AE placeholder. So you're not owning the account anymore. What you get rid of at the same time is the priority for if a lead from this one company comes in a few maybe days or weeks or months later, it's not assigned to your name. So this lead will be um, shared round robin with somebody who is uh, open for it. Mm. So everybody who keeps those accounts receives like all the inbound leads for those accounts. They're pretty much like assigned to them. 
that helps to 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 uh, stay in touch with them because a lot of times, of course, in those 250 accounts, the people are also doing the outbound motion as well, or the SDRs are doing outbound motions on them and support the AEs for it. Uh, so you pretty much like block those accounts. And it's not like for a whole year. So if during the year you maybe get 50 no's and then not something that is going to be warmed up throughout the year, but actually maybe in like one, two, three years, whatever, then you can just get rid of it make a note for yourself when to reach out again, but like don't assign it to your name and get some more companies on top to have like this pretty much like around 200, 250 companies assigned to you. Oh, That's okay. how we treat it at least yeah. at, at, at Dealfront. But, but very interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and so when would you say, or how, how are your scoring, lead scoring mechanism, mechanisms working? So when would you say a lead is a, a marketing qualified lead? And when would you say a lead is a sales qualified lead? And how are you like um, labeling them? So um, how are you like defining a marketing qualified lead and a, and a sales qualified lead? In general, like everything that comes in through the company website is a lead. Then it goes into two different buckets. On the one hand side, you have like an automated uh, reassignment. If everything works out, if the people usually like use their business uh, name for it, if the company has a specific size, right? So for example, above 10 employees is something that we consider uh, something that we can do business with. Everything is like one, two people or so. It just doesn't make sense because they usually yeah. will not be able to afford uh, our, our platform. This is why like we disqualify the ones that are not relevant, then it is like going to the pre-sales team to just double check because sometimes even you have like agencies, for example, that are just uh, scouting tools for their customers, the customers and enterprise deal. Yeah. And we actually want to get in touch with them, have a conversation, not disqualify them right away. But I don't want like to forward those leads right away to the AEs to then like pretty much waste time on them because I would say like 90% of the time it's actually not relevant just somebody who's just browsing and we can solve that with with uh, specialized pre-sales agents uh, inside of the company um, when it ar arrives in salesforce it's actually a marketing qualified lead and gets reassigned automatically to specific teams based on territory based on company size because we different tiers uh, smb mid-market uh, tier for example and then um, the ae usually also has the possibility because we need to give the feedback to marketing we're doing this usually based on industry, we're doing this based on territory, we're doing this based on company size and um, the, the person. So is it a working student of that company or is that a CRO, for example? Also different, different quality standards. We are optimizing on that as well all the time. So they're pretty much like trying to optimize based on the data that we received. We're taking a look at what got close lost, how we can optimize that in the first hand. So we pretty much have a feedback loop all the time. Yeah. Um, and the sales rep himself gives a feedback of, is this, is this company based on the company level? Is that qualified? Yes or no? Just a checkbox. And then you can say like qualified, medium or low level. Mm -hmm. Because like you can see a lot in, um, in the data, right? So, so automated uh, evaluation, but it's always still good to get a feedback from the team. Yeah. So the marketing sees pretty much how many qualified leads they generated. And then as soon as we have a conversation, as soon as we have like the first discovery call, then it's like crucial to understand, are we continuing with the sales motion? So are we creating an SQL out of it, a sales qualified lead? And this would be like, if we say after the discovery call, okay, we understood the pain. We understood that the customer actually has a high priority on it. Mm -hmm. We understood that we can solve this issue for the customer. We understood that we're talking to the right person. 
budget is maybe not even as hard because sometimes it's just like they don't know it yet. This is how we qualify. We, of course, talk about the ballpark. If somebody's expecting like, I don't know, 50 euros a year, it's probably not going to work yeah. out right away. But you get a quick feeling for it. But as soon as a sales rep says, okay, I want to create a real opportunity, so a sales qualified lead, then it's pretty much like, a, I don't know if you, if you, how you have it, like, for example, in production halls, you have like a stamp, like a qualified stamp. This is how I explain it to the sales reps. Because from that point on, it's your name who is like covering for it. Because from that point on, it goes into your conversion, pretty mm -hmm. much. Like what's your conversion, your sales conversion from qualified opportunity to close? And um, this works quite well, to be honest, because we yeah. need to optimize. We need to be aligned with marketing. What is like a marketing qualified lead? They're optimizing on that. And the sales, of course, optimizes on how to um, pre-select, but also like how to best close those deals and, and, and deliver the most value for the customer for them to make in the right decision. Yeah, that, that makes it makes a lot of a lot of sense. And you mentioned before um, that a lot of people are in evaluation processes and just like asking and they have like a lot of a lot of different different um different of course lead um lead sort of lead um, findings lead finder um services and 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 companies and um i know for a fact that probably you are in the premium segment of of lead sourcing lead finding lead providing however you call it um what would you say because i have seen your tool and i think it's it's like amazing what would you say gives you the edge, for example, when you compare your, your service or your company, for example, with Lusha or SaySQL or whatever's out there. So when I'm, when I'm like currently evaluating my lead, lead or buying a lead, um, lead, gen, um, lead gen company or lead gen service, why would I buy Dealfront compared to Lusha? I think before we actually dive deeper into the data, and dive deeper into how many contacts and phone numbers and everything we have. You need to ask yourself the first question. Do you want to be or are you able not to be compliant, GDPR compliant? Because this is something that you need to ask yourself as, as a first thing, because we see it a lot of times that people just jump right into the data. And we see it a lot of times, even though maybe you have less phone numbers, maybe you have like less email addresses, but the one is doing the right thing, which like works out with the legal department and the compliance department. And the other one is like pretty much getting the data out of phone books of their customers, for example, and share that data. There is a difference, right? So yeah. the first question that you need to ask yourself is, are you able to do that? For example, you, you, you were talking about Lusha. I don't know if you have that like experience yourself. I, I'm getting a lot of phone calls. Somehow they got my private cell phone number. And when I'm sitting there with my family and eating dinner, getting a sales call from the US, it's quite weird, you know? Like it's the question, number one, like how do you want to represent your company? What kind of point of view you want to have here? But the second thing is in Germany, if you want to do sales in the Dach territory, for example, yeah, you need to comply with the rules here. So yeah. the question, like again, this is the first thing. Second thing is you just said exactly the, the right thing. So there are different type of tools. They are more platform oriented tools, like for example, Zoom Info or Dealfront. There, but there are also like more, let's say, affordable tools, which are usually an add-on to LinkedIn. Yeah. You have like a contact database, so you figure out pretty much which contacts are relevant, and you want to just get the phone number or the email address. Then you have the Apollos or the Lushes out there. Um, 
And the question is like, which kind of strategy you are, are you, you are following? We have the approach that we have a database which is connected to data from the commercial registers of each and every company. So yeah. we want to deliver the best high quality data to our customers. And we want to nurture that information with social media activities, with website uh, keyword activities, with this AI, which we just generate from blogs, uh, from newspapers who are writing about your company. So if you're taking a look like at tools that are only focused on LinkedIn, they just get the information that is publicly available on LinkedIn, mm. meaning they're missing out on a lot of things that's happening outside of LinkedIn. And this is what we are having the, the biggest benefit. So if customers are coming to me and just saying, hey, listen, I have Sales Navigator in use. Like, how do you differentiate your Sales Navigator? I'm just saying, like, there is a big difference. And, but we are not a competition to Sales Navigator in this case, because Sales Navigator is usually used for researching and keeping up to date on the contacts you want to reach out to. And it gives you a way to approach those people on LinkedIn. But this is the LinkedIn universe. We are focusing on everything that is outside, yeah. connecting the LinkedIn data plus website plus commercial register plus millions of websites. And this is what we are doing. And this is how the value of the tool is presented. And also, like, I don't know if you have done that yet, getting information from like, outside of LinkedIn, of your contact database or from companies you want to approach is usually quite hard. And this is yeah, what we are doing. Like, we're doing this not on a one-to-one base, but actually... You can bulk download things. You can sync that with your CRM system. So it gives you way more edge to supporting you and your teams on a campaign base as well and helps you to, to yeah, leverage, leverage that database uh, in the account selection primarily. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for, um, for explaining that and clearing that up. Um, yeah. Because I think the number one question that I get from founders is, oh, what tools? What tools do I need? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think Dealfront is a, is a very, very, very valid, valid option. But now we have um, identified our RCP. We have our leads. We have qualified them. We have our strategy. We have our, our, our lead gen tool. Um, mm -hmm. And now we want to reach out. Yeah. And um, with like, we have the lists now as well. Um, reaching out to accounts. So what would you say is the most important thing that you tell your reps when reaching out? And also, um, we talked about efficiency. How much time should I spend researching and what should I look for? So in general, like I think the best expert for this would be actually Stuart Moss in our company, who is a director for SDRs, like doing their outreach because like he's training his team effectively. But I sometimes take a look over his shoulder, like how he's doing. And I hope that uh, I mean, I'm, I'm reframing re that uh, correctly. But in general, like you have two different um, types of outreach and actually like where you can prepare as a sales rep. On the one hand side, you're focusing, as I mentioned before, like on the company level, what can you use? What can you leverage? about a trigger in the market that this company is actually qualified for you. It can be if you just focus on what you what what people are what people know also on LinkedIn, well they just got a founding. Well they um, communicated they're going to a trade fair. They're communicating, I don't know, an expansion or like they want a big customer. Like things that are relevant to the customer, not to me, relevant to the customer. So I actually can connect my not even my offer. And this is the really important part. Don't connect and pitch. It's just about like showing interest, 
trying to understand what's what's it all about and then maybe like as a like back of the mind that just building a relationship and then uh ask pretty much like how you can help at the later stage it's not about pitching right away so yeah. but this would be like on the on the company on the company level uh personal level same things like what did they post um what's what's the messaging in general what do they comment um those kind of things you can leverage just seeing like i just saw you you messaged uh, xyz on on linkedin uh have have a same opinion on it and i would love to discuss around this and that topic i don't know like stuff yeah. that you can use uh, and leverage that so those those two different buckets as a preparation i always um try to 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 make the people understand like it's not like an exact time frame i can i can prepare prob probably like for one call maybe in 5 minutes others would need half an hour it just depends like how much experience does somebody have but in general um i would usually try to orient myself on the round like let's say between 15 and 25 minutes to have like not only selected the right contact but actually or the company but actually also like have the right messaging for it I would not do it like in, like just copy paste uh, a template right away and send out because the first email or the first message or the first call is your first impression. Yeah. I know that managers are usually having the, the, the point of view, well, we need to make like, we need to scale. We need to have like 50 calls. We need to send 20 emails a day. We need to contact like 20 people on LinkedIn. Yes, you do. But at the same time, you are wasting your resources internally. So yeah. the sales rep gets pressure from above, you get pressure from the customer. And the question is like, what do the people do? So it's really important here to set the right expectations from the management. And that's what, what, what we're doing with Stuart, I think uh, in a really, really productive way um, mm -hmm. to just give a backup, give a bit of security for the sales reps, um, for them to understand they're doing the right things and what they're doing is valuable. Yeah. So I think this is this is the the right message how to approach it because otherwise you will just burn yeah. people doing outreach, and this is something actually by the way like something that I did in the past myself because I was doing like 150 calls back when I started it was like call center hardcore outbound motion because back then like there was no LinkedIn activities 11 years ago it was maybe Xing out there you got lists and then full speed. Mm -hmm. And this is what I got to learn pretty much and lost like <laughs> the, 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 the fear of, of talking yeah. to people on the phone and cold calling. But this is something I don't want to or I don't need to um, have my, my sales reps experience. I can show them a different way how to do it. Yeah. But of course, at the end, they need to pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that was a great insight. And what I would like to know is how, how do, do people need to approach you to get you in a meeting? This is a really, really good question. And it is connected to something that we are implementing at the moment also in the sales team. Mm -hmm. I think the best way to approach me personally is by getting people that I know referring to me. So try to get a referral from somebody else or connect to me on LinkedIn, ask for my, like, in this case, like my point of view, something that is valuable to me without the need of selling me something, just ask for a conversation. But again, like the best thing possible is try to get people that I value where I interact with, try to get in touch with them. And if there is a way to make them refer like to me, 
Yeah. This is, I think, the best the best thing to to get to me, pretty much. Okay. Getting yeah. this referral, but this is also the hardest thing because you need to build up the relationships, you need to build up your credibility, yeah. and this is not something that sales reps usually can do right away because mm. it just takes a lot of time to build those relationships. Yeah. And if there would be one thing that you could change that sellers currently do, maybe in your team or from what you see, how you get approached, what would it be? Stop wasting the prospect's time with like completely pre-templated emails yeah. or those any thought emails or gifts that don't make any sense, right? Like there are so many different things um, that are done right now. Again, because they are in a cadence that are not making any sense. Um, but I think it, it, it's, it's really this personalization approach, trying to do that multi-channel, try to send out a video, for example, as a, as a it's, nothing, it's not a hack because a lot of people doing it right now, but like using this and, and trying to show your face, be there for the customer, trying to explain like in 30 seconds, maybe a minute, what's it all about, try to personalize that, like those kind of things that are necessary right now. And just like sending out blind emails, it's just gonna not gonna cut it in the current days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing or last question: um, mm -hmm. AI is marching, AI is coming. Um, how do you think AI is going to affect sales? And how? <laughs> I know, I know. You smile. It's it's a question you get like probably on a daily, on an hourly basis. Um, <laughs> how are you at Dealfront? Um, forecasting or how is how is ai affecting deal front you hear the message a lot of times like uh, ai will change the whole sales org and pretty much it's going to steal a lot of jobs not only on sales but also in marketing and copywriting and all of that and to be quite honest if ai directly can impact your job then it probably will but i think it will have a huge impact on people that are know how to handle AI. So it's not the AI that is stealing your job, it's actually the person who knows how to use AI will steal your job. And it will just make people more effective, more efficient, because it's just like, just use ChatGPT, for example. There are millions of different other tools out there, but just ChatGPT, if you just try out to summarize things, if you try out to um, get some ideas, it's like we're at the first stage right now with it, right? But like there will be a lot of stuff uh, will be coming over the next um, months and years. So it will be really, really interesting. And what I would always uh, recommend to people, I also like to do it to myself, but also like to all of my teams here. I recommend like, you don't need to use it, but inform yourself, try it out, be curious. Because it's, it's really important to stay in touch because not only that you're using it on a daily basis, but you can also have a conversation, a decent conversation with, with prospects, with customers about specific topics. And the more you're getting involved into it, the more you will be also probably using it and leveraging it for your work. So I think AI will have a huge impact, but not just because it's AI, but actually because there are smart people also behind that. and they are figuring out new ideas, new hacks that are just going to be a huge lever to the current processes and um, a huge like unfair advantage for the future. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Michael, for the great part. Thank you very much, Alex. Have a good one.